0: Sim is the brain behind Sydney instrumental band, Seams, who will playing on the Sydney leg of Progfest on January 27th at the Factory Theatre. Their latest album, 3, is out now. Sim, thank you
1: so much for joining me. Hey, all good, man. Thanks for having me.
0: You're really welcome. First person in the uh, the pod studio. I feel
1: honoured and blessed. <laughs> if people could see how extravagant this looks, it's amazing. It's I know, amazing. It's, I, it's decadent.
0: It's probably a bit over yeah, the top. Yeah, well, look, I
1: think the, the the golden piano in the corner is a bit, you know, a bit over. You know, you've probably just got like a little... Like a baby grand at least, but uh, <laughs> it's still good. Oh,
0: well, if you've got the money, you've got the money. Yeah, so. exactly. Why not? Let's, on a, because you're kind of like the guy who sort of started the band was the only one in the band for a while. Yeah. I want to go back all the way to the beginning. When you start playing instruments and like what kept you playing them? Because not everyone
1: keeps doing it. Do you mean like uh, as in just being a musician in general? Yeah, like kind of yeah. like learning like, and then sticking with it? Yeah. Um, I think it was kind of a point off it was the only thing to do and i don't mean that in like an inspirational artistic way like it was literally the only thing i could do at one point so um so i had learned if we if we run back to the beginning i'll try and keep it as brief as i can um i basically wanted to learn trumpet like i was so obsessed with playing in the school orchestra i loved like the the power of an orchestra you know at like 10 years old and my dad being like the classic sabbath deep purple fan was just like nah that's lame get a guitar play rock music (laughs) and i'm like no dad i want to play trumpet and then eventually for christmas he bought me a guitar And, and i was just like oh i hate this um and i did lessons for a few months and i did have a pretty lame teacher joey if you're listening i didn't like you and um Uh, and it didn't really keep my interest and, and my dad kept trying to give me records and like, you know, was trying to like get me into Zeppelin and stuff. And then eventually he bought me blood sugar, sex, magic, which for me at that time was like a big, like, Oh, that instrument's cool. What's that? A bass guitar. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing, you know, um, at 10. And then we moved overseas for a bit. Um, and, Uh, we had family friends who owned a music store which was close to our school and we basically would have to wait for our dad to finish work because we lived quite far from the school. So the only place we could wait for him was literally at this instrument store. So my brother and I would go there, I think it was like two days a week over the course of years. And we'd hang out there for two hours, and then this is you know back when internet was still GeoCities and Angel Fire, so there wasn't really much to do, and not many friends had an email address to be able to send on those spicy pre memes, I guess. Um, so, so the only thing that we could find to do to entertain ourselves was actually pick up an instrument, um, and and because again the internet the internet was for us in its infancy, infancy and uh, you know that was when the bass tab thing kind of started to explode. And it's like, oh, I can play all these cool songs from cool bands like Limp Bizkit, <laughs> um, but also other cool bands at that point. So so then that actually kind of piqued my interest. And, again, there wasn't really much to do when we lived overseas. We lived in India for a bit, um, and there's just not much of a, a scene there to, like, go hang out at the movies and stuff like that. So uh, it was literally I would hang out in an instrument store and play a guitar. Um, and then eventually got a chance to take it home where I would keep playing and, uh, and look up bass tabs. Cause that was the only thing that our dial-up internet could access. <laughs> um, and then, and then you just got, I just got used to it and it just kind of stuck with me. It was kind of burnt into my hands at that point. Uh, so then when we came back to Australia, I was about 16 and, uh, and then I got into a punk band straight away and, uh, and, and did music in, in my high school and, excelled at that quite naturally and i think that was more of like my self-drive because i was so obsessed with learning because again there was i had so much boredom and time to fill it got to the point where it was just really easy to go oh okay i think i can be good at this so i should just keep doing it and uh, and i think that also kind of explains the genre where you know seems as qu- uh, quite a math rock band but also there's a lot of influence in with electro and jazz and, mm. and fusion and also punk um, and a bit of bit of metal in there as well. And I think that's also kind of been the evolution of my musical career where it's gone from punk, which is still quite straightforward, but very hard and fast. So you just kind of have to be good. And then when you get better at that, what do you do when you play hard and fast? You play, you start playing prog, you play hard and fast, but with more notes. And then you start playing the stuff that's in 7-8 instead of 4-4. Four, four. And then eventually you just get further and further down the line until you become in this crazy avant-garde band, which, uh, which was God's Wounds, which was like this whole weird like Mr Bungle sort of I mean we even had Mr Drunk, Mr. Bungle's drummer play with us so that was a cool thing as well um, so then you go down that path where you've got like chip tunes with metal with doom with sludge with like punk again and, and then it's just like and then how much further so I think it's always been this step where I kind of like not, not I wouldn't say I master it because I think that's a bit a bit wanky, but when you get, when you feel like you really accomplished with one, you just got to kind of find the next thing to push yourself with. And that's where this has ended up. So, um, and I think three is a good a- a- example of that where, where with seams, as you said, like it's gone from the one man band. And that was again, me going, uh, I can't play drums. I'm going to learn how to play drums. I'm not very good at guitar. I'm going to play guitar on this. Um, and then I don't know how to mix. I'm going to try and mix the first record. You know, like it go it went from that stage to now with three being this whole giant, concept album with like a huge orchestral component so i had to write for strings and arrange strings and um and and then vocals and i've never actually sung on one of my records before so there was that and then also doing a collaboration with wartime sweethearts because again that was something i'd never done before so then it's like okay how do you actually duet with someone and still kind of make sure that everyone's voice is represented so that's always been the push so um, again, with the next release that we've got coming out, that will do the same thing. And then with the subsequent ones, it's always going to go further down the line. I think to the point where it may get to the point where I actually don't play an instrument at all and just constantly write and compose for stuff that I, is just going to be out of my control. Cause I think that for me is quite challenging, you know, to not have to be able to do it. You know, if some, you know, if you want a job done, you do it yourself, whatever. So how about if you just don't do it yourself? then you've got to really make sure that you communicate, which means you have to be really good at what you're doing to get that idea across, right? Mm. I guess that was a long answer. I said I'd keep it brief and I didn't.
0: (laughs) No, that's (laughs) right. Some of the best conversations I have is where people don't keep it brief.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. (laughs)
0: Um, uh, Who was it? Who was I talking to? Shit. Wish I had a (laughs) better memory. Anyway, let's go back a little bit. Yeah. um, Because we weren't quite far with that. We did, yeah. Uh, When you start kind of listening to... This kind of broad category of music, like, I don't know, prog maybe yeah. doesn't quite cover it, but like post-rock stuff, yeah. math stuff. When, when yeah. did you, that come in for you? Uh,
1: it was, um, so when I was in my late teens, early 20s, the, we were in a like a heavy band, Akin to Carnival and Butterfly Effect and all you know those types of gang. And we did really well. And we actually were, we started as an instrumental three-piece and we kind of defaulted to an instrumental three-piece. Because we realized that we could actually, we we were always under the impression that we needed a singer, and we were just going to be this three piece until we found a singer, and then we'd be a band. Um, but then we just started playing gigs because we got bored, and we were nineteen and testosterone kicks, and it's like I want to do this. And then uh, and then it got to the point where I was just like, oh, you can just do this as instrumental. What else is out there? And um, and of course, like in my teen years, I didn't really, I didn't really explore it too much because it was more having things fed to you as opposed to going out there and trying to discover things um and then it was uh, i think it was actually an old tortoise record which i didn't know was tortoise at the time but i was just like oh that's cool and then i kind of got weirdly gone into like stuff like porter's head which but like i didn't care about the songs with the lyrics it was about the other songs um and then i got really into like the instrumental songs on like incubus's science and stuff like that you know that's how far back we're going And it kind of took me a while to put the pieces together of just, oh, I just like instrumental music. And the household that I grew up in, my dad was like, again, that classic metalhead of like Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Zeppelin, um, Uriah Heap and, you know, the Blues Brothers soundtrack was like on all the time because that was like the middle ground album for our house because it still had shreddy solos, but then satisfied my mum's loves, which was pretty much the Supremes and Four Tops and Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and all that cool classic Motown stuff. And then my grandparents, who we'd stay a lot with, uh, were really into jazz, but like into like George Benson, who's you know that crossover of pop but jazz, um, and then Grover Washington Jr. and Miles Davis and Coltrane and stuff like that. So there's always kind of been, I guess, eclectic music in the house because it was never there's it's it's never been a pop record that we would always listen to. It was always something that was just a bit special. Um, and then I I'd kind of always listen to jazz in my youth and then never really explored it until like my early 20s again and, uh, and that was that reminder of just like oh I just actually love instrumental music and then I got really into fusion so that whole 70s era of jazz with like The Weather Report and uh, Return to Forever and um, and all those jazz musos who just discovered distortion pedals and were like yeah let's just make rock riffs Mahavishnu Orchestra another great one and then that in turn put me onto um, prog rock because you know there's that fine line between the Mahavishnu Orchestra and King Crimson you know and it's kind of like oh they're quite close together i guess you know and then king crimson leads on to uh leads on to rush which i actually didn't like at all i was just like oh this is really just everyone's just trying to play everything all the time but then and then that but then that kind of pushed me into this whole like exploring the the bigger longer stuff like explosions in the sky which i got into for a very brief period and then and I was still always down that metal track as well, so I still loved like like Mudvayne, you know, being sixteen and LD fifty came out, such a big album for an aspiring bass player, you know. Mm. So I was really big into that stuff as well. And then when you kind of cross all these worlds, it 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 kind of landed in prog for me because it just kind of had that beautiful mix of that jazz element, but also that post rock element, but then also the the angst and and angular riffs of metal, and you kind of had this like really nice world. And then uh, and then someone introduced me to. Um, uh, a band called Antarctic which was kind of like the the cross between post-rock and math rock and then I kind of just went down the math rock rabbit hole from there on and here we are s- eight eight years later <laughs> mm. Mm. so when does the band when does Seam start so officially it was 2011 um and and like I said the way it kind of came about was just me trying to push myself uh and uh around that time I was in a band called God's Wins. so God's Wounds is just in hibernation now but It's quite, like, I do, whoever's listening to this, I do encourage you to actually check it out, and I'm not saying that because I'm in it. It's actually great. So a guy called Lachlan composes all the music and we'll just hide guns. Um, uh, But it did really well. Like, we toured Regurgitator and stuff like that. Um, The album's out on Joyful Noise recordings, which is over in the States, which is Dale Crover's label. So Dale Crover from the Melvins and Nirvana's first drummer, stuff like that. So even on the album, we've um, got Danny Heifetz. He actually plays in the lineup. So Mr. Bungle's drummer, he's part of the, the lineup. Um, it was mixed and produced by Toshi Kasai, who does big business in the Melvins. Dale Crover's on a track. Um, Carla from Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum sings on a track um uh, uh eugene robinson from oxbow like has his graspy punk vocals on a track um uh greg burns from marriages and red sparrow plays based on a couple of tracks like it's just a really fucking good album so when that whole monolith kind of took off and that really took a lot of my time which was great and i, I fucking love that band can i swear mm. i fucking love that band and then uh and then it got to the point where I just kind of, because I was playing someone else's music, you know, there's that part in the back of your mind that goes, oh, you're not really contributing in the writing process, which is fine by me. And I don't care because God's Wins is Lachlan's writing project, which is why it is so successful. Um, so then it kind of came around off like, oh, I'll just start writing these other riffs in my spare time because I had a few ideas. Um, and some weird kind of drum patterns in my head, and God's Wins really did open me up to the whole, you know, let's do some bits in thirteen eight, and uh, hey, you like this riff in twenty one eight? Because too bad it's in twenty one, learn it. Um, and the first themes album didn't get anywhere near that complex, but it just it just inspired different phrasings and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, so I kind of started writing in my spare time, like twenty ten, when God's Wins was like kind of doing its thing, um, and then twenty eleven kind of came around and. It all it took was actually me kind of finishing one song that I was happy with. And I just all I did was upload it to SoundCloud. And my SoundCloud at the time was under my name. And it was a bunch of bass solos because I was that person. And uh and um I hate bass solos now for the record. I just I don't like them. Um and uh yeah, and then I put one track on SoundCloud and it picked up with a lot of traction. Um and a few people had and this is obviously peak SoundCloud as well, and a few people were kinda of like, oh this is great, when's the album coming out? And these all random people as well. And I'm just like, oh, I hadn't even planned an album. Like, this is not even a band. Like, this is just, I just did this in my living room. Um, but then that kind of inspired me to do more. So then I start writing a couple of other tracks, uh, put them up on SoundCloud, and then it obviously it just got more and more of like, a, oh, I'm loving this. When's the album coming? When's the album coming? out? I'm like, oh, well, I've, you know, I've actually never produced an album on my own. I've been in bands and we've released albums. So why not? Give it a shot you know um, what's the worst that can happen you do it and it's done and no one listens to it mm. but you've done it right which for me was more important at that time uh, so then I went and did it and then a, and then it got to a point where people started trying to book me for gigs but it still almost didn't have a name and I kind of gave it the name Seams at the time because it was because at that point it literally was just me there was no even concept of a live lineup so it was this, um, a kind of a nice way to say it was mine without feeling like it was mine and if I did get a band together I did have some foresight, I guess back then. And if I did get a band together, it wasn't like Simeon Bartholomew and the Supremes, you know, like Mm. it was just like, it can be seams and that's what it is. Um, And then it it actually took the boys in um, Soul Curry. I don't know if you know that post rock band. They're they're a great band. They're on birds road. But it, it was Andrew, the bass player from that, who was just absolutely persistent um, in getting us to play a live show. And I'm at the time like, dude, this is not a band. Like, I know I just made this CD, but that's all it is. And he's like, I've booked you for our album launch. You guys are main support. <laughs> See you there. So I had three months to put a band together. And uh, and I was just like, um, okay, I haven't even like really, I don't even know how to play the songs. Like I recorded them and it's done. So then um, I kind of asked the boys in God's Winds. So Sam Schumach on guitar, so our original guitarist from Seams, uh, Paul Murchison, uh, so trumpet in God's Winds, also our original trumpet player slash th- slash synth player. Um, and then Gene White from Sirius Speak on drums and I just kind of was like hey can you guys just play this one gig for me like I just need your help we'll just do this one show and that's kind of it and the response from all three of those guys was just oh I'll just be in the band sounds cool and I'm like oh okay well it's not a band though so we're just going to do this one show um, and now three years well three albums later and uh, seven years later and one Japan tour under about and a few mm. festivals and it's now I kind of accidentally beast become the beast it's become. And I'm so thankful for it. And it's, it's uh it's pretty wild to kind of see that it was actually just a living room project, which I kind of didn't try to make something out of it. And now it's just, it's done, it's done half of it by itself. And now it's just kind of now being that path that you just want to keep pushing and just kind of keep making it bigger and better and see how you can turn each corner next, you know?
0: Mm, mm, Mm-mm. Definitely. I think you sort of sort of touched on it, but like go into a little bit more depth of why instrumental music was kind of the route you chose for this.
1: Yeah, so I always found it interesting, not because of the idea that it didn't have vocals, but the idea that you could give it your own voice, right? So so there's two things that happen with this, and I'm, I'm going to try and not get musically nerdy on this because I'll just listen back to this and hate myself for it. Um but there's first of all i think there's something that there's something that really interesting happens with instrumentation when you don't have vocals someone has to speak right and it's not even necessarily like play a hook that's a that's the riff you know like it's not necessarily about playing a hook or a melody that is lyrical in itself but someone has to have a voice someone still has to be saying something even if something is nothing you've got to say something at some point, right? So you can still play drone for like a good couple of minutes, but then you're going to have like some buildup or something that's going to kick in or even just like a new fuzz pedal or just someone plays a fifth and then it just gets a bit like, Oh, now there's color. Like, Oh, that's, that's taken it somewhere, You know, you can say a lot with a tonal change or a modal movement or whatever it might be. So I've always found that fascinating from a writing angle, uh, especially as a bass player um, because there is like, cause theres like because Obviously, being traditionally a rhythmic instrument, taking that into a harmonic place and trying to be trying to have a voice with that is—it's not really challenging, but it's definitely an interesting way of how to do it. Um, and I think that's also why Seams got so grandiose in the soundscape with orchestral instruments, because then it's like, okay, so what happens if we have an orchestra play this bit? But then who's leading? Like, is it a trumpet? Is it a cello? Or is it a violin? Or do we have a cello in one bit and then they play a motif and then it goes to the violin? But then everyone does occasion You know, there's there's a lot of ways that you can kind of take. Uh, I guess a lyrical voice and make it shift and change. All right. The other thing that I really like about it is when uh, when there's a lack of vocals, there's a lack of definition. Right. Um, which I which again I love as a and this is more from a listener as opposed to a composer because one thing and I found this um, literally again like in my early twenties when Incubus was big like listening to Incubus and I would love or hate songs actually based on the lyrical component regardless of whether the the music was great or not great you know um and like a song uh what was that song i miss you like musically it's actually quite a pretty song it's a ballad it's soft you know um and uh and it's 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 special in its own in its own right lyrically i hate it i think it, oh my god a song about Brandon boyd calling and crying over his lost love oh my god like oh, oh. Like, I I just hate stuff like that. I don't want someone preaching to me about their life or an experience that they had, um, which I may or may not relate to, but then it's it's kind of drilled into you, and that's what that song means, right? Also, whether or not that means it to the band or the producers or whoever it might be, you're kind of defining what the mood and the idea is with literal words, right? So when you take that out, it's kind of open for interpretation. So, and I... I've always felt this, but I think I really noticed it back with the first Seams album because um, the first Seams album is all about uh, contrast, all about light and shade. So when you listen to it, like the first song's big and the second – sorry, the first song's kind of soft and the second one's big and the third one's soft and there's, but then it's like epic. So it's always, it's always about this shifting idea of like going big than going small or going happy than going sad. And one song that I thought was quite happy, uh, someone, someone came up to me at the end of the show and was just like, wow, that's a really sad – Sad song and I love it. Like it's so, it comes from such a dark place. And I'm like,
0: would it be um, the six L two, six L L two? No, uh, it's not that one. That was, that was
1: one I actually noticed was like, like Jesus, that is a very sad song. Yeah, but but that okay. So that song also came from a piece of like place of happiness, like pure happiness. Like it was me just like, I think I had a great afternoon that day, and I just pulled out the piano. And just and I just had the biggest smile on my face, and i played it through like a little crappy orange ten watt amp, which I was just like, oh, I think we're gonna record that because that sounds so broken and so beautifully like crushed and like it was just such a happy song for me, so that that's mm. also another great example of that because I was just like for me that was like, kind of like a song of serenity, you know like you've I can't remember what the song is Precursor that may, It may have been ro- roasted Or something like that But something big and epic And then just to kind of go To this little sweet spot Of just like Oh that's really nice But that's also been One where people are like Wow that's was, that was like That's beautiful Like it kind of brought A tear to my eye I'm like Like in a happy way Or in a sad way But that's what I love about it It kind mm. of It does mean something Different for everyone else And I I kind of want people To have that And even when we did The song Imperfect Black On the last one So the duet With Wartime Sweethearts and even when we were talking about the, the lyrics and part of the reason why she's on this is because not only because she's amazing and a great friend and an amazing musician, um, and technically fucking incredible, but like, I really like her lyrics because they're also kind of interpret open for interpretation. She's really big on poetry. She's really big on imagery and also kind of letting people find their own meaning. Um, so we kind of kept it like almost obscure and kept it a bit abstract for that reason. So even, um, with the idea of that song, you know, it's still about a journey of coming, um, going into a place of imperfect black. So you're kind of going where you don't know where you're going, but it's okay. And it doesn't matter if it's like, you know, if you've come from a bad breakup and you're kind of in this void of the unknown or you've lost your job and you just feel a bit, you know, lost or you've just had a kid, which is, but then you don't know where your place is in life. It doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter what the cause is, but it's more about the appreciation of where you are now. Right, So let you take your own meaning of, of of however that can affect you and how that applies to you in life. But it's kind of the same story for everyone in that same, we're all going to be in that void at some point. So just appreciate that void. Mm. And that's kind of the only meaning. But again, it's not really driving down your throats about, hey, this is about an ex-girlfriend and yeah, I hate her now. You know, like, mm. um, yeah, I'm not a fan of that so much.
0: No, that's, that's fair yeah. enough. Um, I want to move on to talk a little bit in depth about number three. Yeah. So did you have a process which you use or like, so I'll break it. Like, yeah, wanna, yeah, go for it. At least a couple of things that like some people have mentioned. Do you have, a, do you have a process? Do you have a particular environment? Do you have a particular mood you need to be in? Do you have a particular, I don't
1: know, like
0: do you need inspiration to start writing? Oh, yeah, like, okay. how, how does it work for yeah. you when
1: you want to write some music? So for me, uh, oh, well, I mean, let's let's cancel one of those out. So mood I think is actually um, irrelevant or at least coming from where I'm coming from because ultimately you're in control of your own, your own self and if you're in a happy mood or in a sad mood, you should still theoretically be able to do the washing. You should still theoretically be able to watch a TV show. Um, you should still theoretically be able to go to work. So um, you should still theoretically be able to write a song if that's your work, you know um and there's kind of like i don't believe that creativity is on a whim of feeling creativity is always inside you it's up to you whether you want to actually utilize it and create or not you know um i think that's also my day job kind of coming to effect where you're forced to kind of be creative between nine to five so you know too bad sucked in like that's what your job is so you've got to do it um and uh and in terms of inspiration i really like the idea of coming at it as a concept album i mean i'm always a person who listens to albums i don't listen to playlists um i despise shuffle um i want to kind of go on a journey with with whoever the artist is so if you've put out an album i will listen for that album from start to finish you know um because there's there's obviously a message and i mean if you look at the like i guess the post-rock genre the prog rock genre the math rock genres um there's always a story you know there's always a concept album uh which is what i like and i, I just find that interesting in general so What's the concept? So, with three as a as a as a case study, um, three is all about color, right? So the fir- the four songs: cyan, magenta, yellow, and imperfect black. It's all about the relationship between the four. So, if you think about like your printer ink cartridge, and this is this is where this album started. You think about your printer ink cartridge, right? The cyan, magenta, and yellow. So you can mix those three colors to get absolutely any color possible, except for black. If you mix them all together, you get imperfect black. So that's the idea of the last song. Um, and I, I find I find that really interesting as a concept, right? So then how do we do that musically? So how do I translate that idea about contribution and, and light and shade? So Cyan's all about shifting tints. So um, so how do you shift tint in music, right? What's your contribution to that? So it's all about modal changes on a bass, right? So if your whole song's in shape, I'm going to get so nerdy. But uh, if your song's in C-sharp minor, how do you play other modes across that that change the shift of or change the tint of the music But still keep it true to what the base of that color is being, I guess, blue in this case, right? Um, And then magenta. What does magenta contribute to the color palette? It's about saturation. It's all about making things richer. So how do you do that in a song, right? You take one motif and you make it, you saturate it, right? So you take that one thin riff and you saturate it and you get it thicker and deeper and richer. But how do you make it richer? You can't just add more instruments playing the same thing, right? So how do you contribute to that? And then yellow. Yellow is all about uh, luminance, right? yellow in the color palette and you mix it with colors it makes things lighter so again how do you do that in music right so you obviously the key change is the most obvious thing you know go up a step um but you can't make it obvious right because that doesn't do it obviously in the color palette so how do you do it with other things right so is it is it you know adding extra beats on is it kind of like adding the you know the way you write a melody kind of using the different rules of inversion and inverting riffs and stuff like that um and then also like the lyrics also kind of contribute. So what's the first lyric? I should know this. Our Sun is saw our Sun is straight, now uh, lights escape from here. So it's all about light again. And again, you can kind of take away what you want from that. So so that was and then Imperfect Black, the result of like, okay, let's mix all three songs together. So we take like key hooks and ideas and, and little chords, chord structures from the first three songs, and then make this beautifully imperfect pop song, right? And it's imperfect because it's in seven eight, so it never feels like it's complete. And even the big chorus at the end, which is, I guess you can count it as four four, it's actually it's still phrased as five and three. So there's always that feeling of like this push and pull that we're doing, but it still feels comfortable because it's still over four. But I'm sorry, I'm so getting so (laughs) musically nerdy. Um, But but that's kind of like you know. So I I really like digging into the science of. Not music so much, but kind of how you can convey an idea mm. with different words. And the words in this case being notes on paper. Um, and then when you look at the the process, for me, uh, traditionally what I do is uh, every, so January every year, um, I take a month off work. And whether it's paid or unpaid, I don't care. I, normally when it's unpaid, I'm a bit more successful, I think, in, in, the, in the process because I can't go out because <laughs> I don't have any money. Uh, but I will take a month off. And sit at home and cabin fever the hell out of it. Like, I will sit there at my computer and my keyboard. I write everything on piano. Um, I don't actually write on bass um, because uh, if I write on bass, I find it too comfortable and I find it becomes second nature, which in turn means that I'm not actually pushing my writing. So if I have to play on a piano, which I can play, I'm not – I like, I can't just go, oh, here's a C minor 7. I can't, I can't just pull that out. I still have to look at the keys and go, okay, so C minus seven is this. So I need to do that, that, that. You know, I still need to mind map it out. So in turn, that forces me, I think, to write better music because I actually have to think about what I'm doing and how it contributes, right? So I actually have to sit there and look as opposed to bass where I can just shred and just go, bluh, bluh. oh, yeah, that's a song. Time. Um, so, yeah, so I'll take a month off and just cabin fever, um and just not go out. Like I'll go out and go get a coffee or go get lunch and then come back and just put the guitar in my lap and then put the keyboard in front of me and go, okay, what's... And just keep pushing. Um, and whether it's good or not, I'll keep going. And then at kind of like at the end of the week or at the end of a fortnight, I'll just use the delete key. Delete key is your best friend in my opinion because you can never have too much, but you always can delete, you know? So just if you have any idea, write it down. I'm very big on the whole phone demo. Like if I'm out and I'm, you know, walking to work or something... Um and I've got an idea, I'll literally sing it into my voice memos on my phone. And then when I when I get to this writing period, I'll sit down and, and go through my all my voice voice memos and quickly just play it. And if I'm not in it by like three or five seconds, and whether that's because I don't remember it or it's just not capturing me, I'll just delete it straight away and go, okay, cool, done. But then there's some where you play it and you're like, Oh, that was a good one. Like I remember it being good at the time. I don't remember what it is, but I remember feeling like, oh, that's cool. And you hear it and you're like, and that sparks that idea. It's like, okay what was that and then what can I build around that you know and then you kind of try and paint that picture so um I like kind of building the world of like okay so this is the concept album this is how it's going to go and this is how things should contribute into the bigger picture um and then and kind of deconstructing and just sitting there and just pushing yourself and like it does get to the point where like I'll be up till 2 a.m 3 a.m at the computer um making really annoying twiddly sounds um Apparently the closed back headphones aren't as powerful as I thought they were because um, my poor fiance can hear it through the other room. Um, but it is something that it's, yeah, you just got to keep pushing. Cause I think that by that point when you've written all these extra songs and then you actually go back and delete them and go, Oh, that's not good enough. I think that's a good problem to have when you, when you start to go, that's not good enough. Um, yeah. Cause then you, cause then what you're what, like, I guess the leftovers are the great stuff. You know? mm-hmm. um and that's kind of happened with the um the the next release which oh, i won't give away too much but it continues on the idea of three so it's 3.1 um and it's all about luminance so we've talked about the color spectrum and then i'm like okay so but i want to i still have this idea of like that's how color, color contributes but what how does luminance contribute um with the shades of black and white right um, so then, so the next one starts with Absolute Black and then it goes through translucence, and then it goes through to Clarity at the end. So again, you kind of take the idea of how, how luminance actually contributes to the color scheme and then how do we look at that in, musically? Like Absolute Black. Oh, of course it's going to be a really heavy song. It's like, well, not necessarily though. Absolute Black is all about like a wall, right? Like it's flat. But then how do you make flat interesting? You know, it's about context around black. So when you look at like minimalist painters who are kind of do the whole black on white type of thing, it's about painting that bigger picture and the context around it is what makes that absolute black so perfect. So it's not perfect black, it's absolute black. So it's um yeah, again, I've gone down this nerdy path. But that's that that's kind of how it happens, you know? It um so yeah, so this January I've been writing the next next the next next release. The next one's already ready to go, but you know, it it kind of becomes this almost obsessive, addictive cycle that you get into that you can't get out of. Uh, and that's okay because what you end up with is pretty great for the most part um whether people like it or not you know you like it so mm. that's good be self-serving you know
0: mm. so obviously there's kind of interesting ways in which you take a concept and then see how you can flesh it out musically yeah how do you come up with the uh, I actually was doing some wiki on this. Oh yeah, yeah. Because um, I couldn't remember what the specific name was, but it's the CMY, uh, CMYK yeah. color scheme. Yeah. What? what how did you come up with like, hey, this is how I'm actually going to approach
1: writing this particular record? It was, it was, it was just the idea of looking like it literally was. Um, it started. When I was in the office at work, and someone had spilled spilled uh, like the actual giant roller ink cartridge from like those giant office printers that you want to bash up in Office Space. It was one of those, and it was the magenta cartridge, and it was just sprayed all over the like the print room, and it looked awesome. It was just like this beautifully hot pink, almost graffiti splatter, and I'm like, that's cool, and that kind of just stuck with me for a while, and um, and I'm I'm a bit of like I really I really like um. Uh, like postmodern art but not like sorry not postmodernism but more like the abstract and like the era of the 60s and the 70s and uh and even early 50s so like joseph albers mark Rothko, um uh, helen lindberg like all those like those great abstract artists that's more about color palettes um and one artist that i so one artist that i absolutely love is joseph albers so he was around uh from like the 30s prominently um and you like his stuff still in galleries all over the world it's it's really cool um, but the thing that intrigued me so long ago was that he'd written a book which was both critically acclaimed and absolutely panned in the 50s, and it's called The Relationship of Colour. And what he had done was that he had diluted art into a science in terms of how colour actually works. So even from the, the first page, the, the, basically there's like these seven rectangles of, of different shades of red. And the question is, which of these is absolute red? like the actual rgb you know like red what is red and then you look at it and you go oh well it's clearly the fourth one but it's not it's the third one um and the reason why is context so i think if you flash back to the internet like 6 years ago with the whole black black and blue dress or white and gold mm-hmm. dress it's about the context so whatever you saw before it or whatever you saw around it will actually dictate how you perceive it um and i found that fascinating so when I, I just I really enjoy like the idea of color theory and, and the context of color theory. So then when it kind of came around to literally me just changing the printer ink in a in a printer cartridge one day, I was just like, I really I think it's really cool how you can make absolutely everything out of these four things. Kind of like music in the way that you can make absolutely every genre I guess in in Western music out of twelve tones. All right, uh, so seven tones and five semitones if you want to be technical, but like you can you can make every genre in Western music out of essentially 12 steps, right? It's all about the relationship that create color. So then that, of course, sparked me going down a rabbit hole and going, oh, yeah, well, well if you can do that, right? Surely you can do it with... with you know how does that work with music? Well, what about if color? Is music and music is color? No, that's not that's not that doesn't make sense. But you know, synesthesia is a thing, right? And people see colors when they hear music, so there is a relationship in that somewhere. So yeah, so I started rattling off like a madman in the back of the back of my brain. Um, but it also came through off that, that challenge of like, wouldn't it be cool if wait, how do you translate that? Maybe I should try that. Um, and uh, originally, the song Magenta um, uh, was called B. Like the letter B. So it was, I knew that I kind of wanted like the songs which called A, B, C, D, E because I'm just that person again. Um, and I thought that that was kind of like it felt like the second song. But then when I actually looked at the color palette and I'm like, oh, how magenta contributes to what it does, I went and rewrote magenta to be magenta. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, if that's magenta, what's cyan? And how does that work? Um, and then just coming up with the dumb riffs. and then And cyan was also one of those things where I'm like, oh, I feel like we could have a mariachi section in this because, you know, add, add, give it a Spanish flavor but still have, like, the under root of rock underneath it. So it's not the same one, four, five thing. And, yeah, I'm just trying really hard to keep this. not nerdy, but it keeps going down that path, and I'm so sorry. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs>
0: um, so, so talking more broadly about the way this album sort of contrasts with the previous ones. Yeah. I think the previous ones were exclusively you. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's what sort of changed? I think you sort of talked a little bit about it, but go a bit, a bit more into it. Yeah. Like, Why did you want it? Because you, theoretically you could do a lot of stuff just by yourself, right? Yeah. But like, but you wanted additional instruments. You wanted additional people on it. Why did you want to do it that way?
1: So, so the first one, like I said, for me was more of like, I can't, well, I don't know if I can't do it. I don't know if I can do it. I should try to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the first album. So that's self-titled. The second album was like, okay, I've done it. Now I want to improve on it, right? I need to – I've done version one. I can do version two. So I can play everything, but I can play it better. Um, and I can make it a bit crazier. I can do the mix better. Um, and I think I can do the concept better. And it wasn't even necessarily better. It was just I know I can do this now, and I should do it again to solidify. You know, in the same way, like, if you're going to do something and you're going to try and do it, Great you still want to try and improve on great because you should, you know, mm-hmm. you should always try and push yourself to do something um, bigger and better all the time because why not? Right. Um, and then three came about in, so the way that three evolved were, was two reasons. So for me to differentiate the second album from the third album, there had to be a dramatic change because if the third album was done in, this, in the same way, as the first two albums, I think it would have actually sounded the same, but just with different songs. Right. So I want, I knew I wanted to evolve the sound. Like I think the sound evolved between one and two quite dramatically just from a matter of just being more familiar with what seems was because at the start it wasn't anything and then it became something. So then it was kind of like honing in and really defining what it should be. Um, and then going from two to three, it was kind of like, okay, so how do I, I need to expand this soundscape. And I think the way to expand the soundscape is for me to actually not do everything. Um, so, so there was that, so that was the main part. And also by this point, um, Chris Allison joined us on drums. So uh, so I met him at a violence and action gig that we played ages ago, which was like a, uh, an avant-garde uh, thing, I guess. Um, and he joined the lineup, uh, replaced Gene, because um, Gene had to go back and focus on Serious Beak. Um, and then, you know, just having that powerhouse there, and obviously he's an incredible drummer. Like He plays for Pliny now, and his project instrumental adjective is fucking insane. I love mm. it. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, not because he's my friend, but they actually – I just want my favorite bands. They're just incredible. Um, And so like obviously having him in the lineup was like, well, it makes sense to kind of utilize him being a better drummer than I am, but I still wanted to play guitar. Um, I still wanted to play piano. Um, But then it was also at the same point, like I wanted to include this orchestral instrumentation. And now that we had a, a keys player who was really proficient at trumpet, it was like, well, let's utilize the trumpet a bit more and make it a bit spicier. So, so to speak, um, and then also uh again the way to extend the expand the soundscape was for me to not mix it so have someone else record it and mix it so that was Tim Carr so he'd previously done a couple of we lost the sea albums and he did the uh series speak album he did um Shashin's last album um and obviously made some great records so I'm like hey I think you'd be great with this as well do you want to produce it and he's like no like it's it's your demos are perfect I just really want to mix it and kind of just bring it to life and I'm like oh Okay, are you sure? Because I'd really like you to contribute to this. And he's like, "Don't worry, you you've got this." But I really want to mix it. Like he really wanted to. So that was that was cool. Uh, and he did an incredible job. So thank you, Papa Tim. Um, and then also in the same way of expanding the writing. So uh, again, like with bass, I've been proficient at it for a long time. And and there was a, there was also a point. I'll tell this story maybe later, and we'll touch on it now. But like it got to a point where. Where my musicianship was kind of like okay, so I can I am a better musician technically, I guess, by playing better and faster with more notes, um, until I saw Battles live and they kind of just flipped the whole game of musicianship on the head for me, like where they make so much sound by playing almost nothing and it's all about everything around it. So for me that was like a big thing. So um, and me with bass guitar, like yeah, yeah, I'm you know not to try and touch my own penis right now, but like I, I know I'm great at it and I know I can play it really, really, really well. So how do I Create a new learning path for me. Stop, like, just ditch the bass altogether. But you still need a bass guitar in there. So I've moved to the bass six, which is a six-string bass, but um, looks like a guitar. So you can't play it like a guitar because it sounds crap because it's still in bass tuning. It's quite a fat sound because it's still bass strings on there. But you can't play it like a bass because you can't just shred on it with your fingers. Um, And it doesn't have the same tonal range or like the same, same attack and the same warmth. So you've got to be really interesting with how you write. So you write with tritones and nice chordal progressions um, and different voicings and that, and then how that contributes to the greater picture again is very different. So, so those three things of just kind of like utilizing other players and just for me, again, that, that increased my writing capacity because I really had to make sure that those dots on paper, um, really actually meant something and conveyed the idea properly. Uh, And then, again, not doing the mix and just having Tim come in and bring his his experience and his knowledge and his, I guess, persona and letting him mix it and and me actually giving him a bit of the weight and going, I know what the priority instruments are, but I kind of want you to mix it and not tell me. And then I'll come and sit with you and then I want to hear what you think it should be you know which was quite cool and then yeah ditching the four string bass like the traditional bass guitar which I only play now in I think two songs and it's pretty much when we play the old songs um and moved to the bass 6 which for me was such a big writing change um and quite a big dynamic change in in the sound but I think also again I think it actually pushed the limits of where the band could have been and where it should have been um into the sound that it is now
0: mm. mm very interesting so you you so let's 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 recap yeah bunch of stuff you've sort of moved and in, in changing from two to three yes particularly the implementation of these new musicians yeah but having said that you could have you could have taken these new musicians um addition of addition uh, people doing more stuff that you had previously done and written 10 three-minute songs four-minute songs yeah like you had sort of previously done, yeah. But you've written sure, um written fewer, longer songs. Yeah. Talk a, bit, a little bit about why you took that approach.
1: So that was so that was also for me part of the concept album. You know, like mm. it was the idea of kind of having these these three colors, like these three big colors. they were, I mean, the songs are uh, roughly ten minutes each. I think Magenta's the shortest one at like seven. Um, so it was kind of like really letting those colors make their mark. Those big those big things are almost like their own self contained story. So Cyan is Cyan. It's all about tint shift and here's the various stages that it can go through and how it contributes to the, to the picture. Even to the point where like at the end when there's that really pretty guitar solo that I recorded by accident, um, because I was just trying to find a sound on my guitar um, and then I, I hit R instead of, um, E, I think on my keyboard and then, and then it hit record and I'm like, and I still didn't realize, um, oh, okay, I guess I'll record that then. Um, yeah so then, even like with that, like there's like a really pretty guitar solo, but then the the tint shift of that is a really sad guitar solo, same key, same notes, but like having that shift again of how they contribute to each other, um which is quite cool so each each one of those songs, I really wanted kind of them to live as themselves and be its own story um and then the idea of imperfect black was again to be this three minute pop song um which i don't really I don't do pop at all um so I was really intrigued by that as an idea and kind of going, yeah, like the summation of three tens, make it a three. Um, which kind of like the only the only hindsight I have of that was when we went and we played Japan in 2017. So we went and played a festival over there um, and a few other shows. And Japan is a big fan of the 25-minute set. Um, it's like that's, that's, that's the thing, 25 minutes everywhere. Um, the festival we played 30 minutes. Uh, so obviously we only kind of fit two two songs in um at at most of those gigs so that's the only downside but at the same time there's a lot that goes through it's not like i guess a a seven minute post-rock song where it's more about building on the one idea and it kind of has the one passage Mm. but it's more about it goes through various chop and changes within its own little song yeah Mm.
0: Mm. um I feel like we've kind of covered in perfect black Yeah. Like in sort of different iterations, but like dive a little bit more into a pop song B, yeah. b, like, you know, consistent vocals throughout the album, like a pop song.
1: Yeah. So, so the, the thing that sparked my interest initially um, with this idea was from a, an Adelaide math rock band called spark spitter. Um, and they they had done something similar where they're a math rock band and they had one song with with two female vocalists on it. And it was just cool as shit. Like it was just it came out of nowhere when you listen to the album. And it was just really pretty. Like really pretty. Um and then and that's kind of always that stuck with me for a while. That was back in 2014 or 2015 when that when that album came out. Um and then I would met Louise uh just before she'd released released the um the So Long Sparta album uh which was I think like end of 2016 around then and and uh and, and I only discovered her because her record also came out on Artist Catharsis which is the label that we're on one of the labels that we're on um and then uh and then when I heard it for the first time I was blown away her her vocal prowess was incredible um and it was just it was also a re- she had a really interesting tone which I loved it was quite unique and I really loved how she actually explored melody, it was because it was quite not jazzy, but also quite jazzy. Um, but I also hate jazz vocals. Um, so it was just a really interesting palette. and the way she used vocal harmony, so her her, her actual harmonies and, and how she would layer her vocals, super intriguing. like it was just very musical. So I hit her up on Facebook straight away and was just like, hi, can we be friends? I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm not trying to creep you out. I don't want to like date you or anything. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I think you're incredible and I want to work with you in some capacity. Um, sorry if I'm being a creep, you know? (laughs) Um, and then I went and saw her, her live album launch and was like, Hey, I'm that guy that messaged you. And she's like, Oh, Hey. Hey. Um, and then we actually became really good friends after that. We actually like, we, I mean, we, are still great friends now, but like we, it actually sparked a good friendship. Um, and then it got to the point where I started writing three and I always, in the back of my mind, there's always this idea of sparks, that sparks bit spitter track. And then I was just like, one day we went out for whiskey. Um, we always do like a whiskey night once a month type of thing, whiskey and ramen or whiskey and burritos. Um, and then we went out one night and I was just like, Hey, you want to sing on a theme song? And she's like, okay wait don't you have not singing on those songs I'm like yeah but let's just do it right um and she's like okay that's interesting sure and um and also for her it was it was a great what well, it was it was funny when we actually started writing it um and again the idea was this imperfect black right so how do I make so so i kind of decided on yeah we end on a pop song we end on this like just a verse chorus, verse chorus, outro, like bridge or outro, you know, like a pop song. Cause I don't write pop songs. I like write 10 minute monoliths, you know? Um, and then how do we make imperfect black? How do we make it imperfect if we use a perfect structure, right? We write it in seven. And for Louise at that point, it was like a challenge for her because she was like, Oh, seven. Like, so that means you kind of like you're tripping over yourself yeah but but yeah but also we don't want people to kind of be able to go one two three four five six seven one two three you know we don't want to make it obvious that it's in seven we just want people to feel that it's familiar but uncomfortable so we would just kind of like jam at my place or at her place like late you know late late throughout the night it mostly it just was us talking shit and then we're like oh we should probably try and do something um and then uh and then the um when I would written the string melody for the um for the like that whole middle section, that became kind of the melody. she was just like, That's just so pretty, I just wanna go with that. Um and the same with the uh, the idea of the ending, because the uh, the ending is five, four, three, four, 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 four. But she's like, What about if I just sing in four? Like just sing the one melody over the top. And I'm like, Yeah. Cause that that does that that creates that familiarity, but you still got the offset and it feels like it's not complete like and it feels like it should be bigger than it is but you're kind of constantly catching that step in there um so you're constantly being tugged at it you know push and pulled um so that was so that was kind of how that happened and then with the lyrics i literally left it with her and i was like look you you do what you do um but here's the idea of the concept and what i kind of want conveyed um but you interpret that how you want you know and we never actually spoke about the lyric the actual words until the Sunday night before we hit the studio to record the vocals. And she texted me on Facebook at like 1130 going, are these cool? And and I read it and I just had the biggest smile on my face. And I'm like, those are fucking awesome. Um, and I'm like, no changes, like it's cool. And then we get to the studio. And at this point we've already recorded two out of the three days. So everything else was done except for her vocals and a couple of guitar bits and some of my overdubs. And then so we get to the studio and then, uh, and then she goes in to warm up and she's like, I changed some of the lyrics. I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, you do you. Um, and then at that, point, at that moment when she actually goes and steps up the mic, I'm just like, wow, we really haven't rehearsed any of this. I don't even know what the vocal melody is. Like I know we spoke about the vocal melody in the second half of the song following the strings. I know we spoke about the whole idea of the outro. I know we kind of worked out the dun, 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 I know we spoke about that, but I really didn't actually go further into it. But at the same point, considering her musicianship and just how much of a cool person she is, it was more like I I had the full trust in her, you know? And I think this is one of those things where you surround yourself with people who you feel are better than you, because it'll always push you. Um, and you'll always get the best result, you know? Um, so And then the moment she, and we're just like, okay, we're going to record a demo just like just to make sure that the levels are cool and the vocal mic and stuff. And she nailed it in that one take and was like, yeah, cool. And then we get her to come in to listen to it to make sure that, you know, she's happy with her tone on it. And then as we're listening back, she starts singing the harmony. And we're like, I just looked at her. I'm like, are you, can you, can you, do you remember that? And she's like, do you remember what? I'm like, go, 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 get back in the booth now. And then she goes back in and then records the next harmony and the next harmony and just layers up. And it's all on a whim. It's all on the fly. Um, and it sounds fucking huge. Like, it's great. I, I She did an incredible job. Um, and it's something that I probably wouldn't have brought to the, been able to bring to the table. And I think that's also the power of collaboration in that same respect. So for me, it was, it was also important to kind of keep the purest idea of seams being still composed by me and written by me and mostly played by me. But at the same idea, I still wanted to branch out the sound and the dynamic and involve others, but then making sure that you involve them in the right space where they can bring them to the table as opposed to compromising what you're trying to do, you know? Mm. And she brought everything and more like absolutely incredible. One Mm. of my favorite, like it's actually one of my favorite things that I've ever done in my life. That specific song, just because it was such unfamiliar territory for me um, and such unfamiliar territory for her, and such an unfamiliar territory for scenes in general and the idea of the album, and it all it worked I think it worked beautifully
0: mm, mm. no that's really really cool um sort of related to topic the yeah. the vocals on uh yellow yeah. What was the impetus to add those, you know, you being as you mentioned. Yeah, not, you know, a not singing band.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um so I there was that also that part of, you know, again, wanting to push seams, the soundscape. And we've already included all this orchestration. So um I felt and we already by this point uh, you know, the vocals have been worked on or at least conceptualized for a few months. And um and it came down to I was getting really excited and and kind of high off the idea of involving all my friends in the actual recording, which is mm. a weird thing to say considering they're all musicians and we all work on each other's things. Mm. But there was something just different about this album that I just kind of wanted to just keep pushing. And again, you, know, you can always hit the delete key, right? You, you can always do it. And one of our good friends, Chris Kearns, who is the singer from a band called Fat Guys Wears Mystic Wolf Shirt, um, who are basically Australia's Dillinger Escape Plan, like hands down. Cool as hell. Um, also another Chris Allison band, of course, because uh, he also plays in just as many bands as I do. And uh, and he was in town. He had re- he was about to move overseas, and he was in town. He also sings in one of my other bands called Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of a Tony Hawk Pro Skater Cover Band. Um, and I'm like, hey, man, do you want to sing on the Seams album? He's like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm like, yeah, cool. He's like, do you want to send me the stuff? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll send it when I make it up. <laughs> and, and it was one of those things where I was kind of like, oh, okay. Where, like, when, and and initially, the only spot that I kind of had thought about it was in yellow. There's that little bar of five for that like,
2: la da la da la di da da ba da hey.
1: That that one section, and I can't, and because he's got that beautiful hardcore screamo voice, just having him with me do it, mm-hmm. I thought it would be great. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, just coming for that one bit, and then literally. So we started recording it on a Saturday and the Friday night I'm playing PlayStation with my mates. We're playing Rainbow Six and we're all um you know just walking around shooting baddies and and just talking talking about work and stuff. And then um and then one of the guys just um mentioned what was the phrase? It was um oh well, I can't remember what happened, but there was a glitch in the game and, it's, and one of the guys was just like, oh, yeah, it was like the lights escaped from here. I'm like, the lights escaped from here. And I was just like, BRB. And then I went and grabbed my laptop. And as we're playing, I'm literally writing out the lyrics on this Friday night, the day before we're in the studio. And, and again, thinking of the concept of Yellow. And this was at the point where I I can't remember politically what was happening, but I was, you know, everyone's always angry about everything in politics generally now because... What the fuck's going on? Um, but it was, it was, it was, it came from a very anti-establishment point in my, in my body. Right. Um, so especially with the lyrics, when it gets to the um, uh, uh, um, absent minds, wasting time, you know, uh, trapped in their own soul. So it's all about, you know, someone obviously making ignorant decisions and, and, or dumb ideas and stuff that affects you, but you kind of just have to, not even accept it, but like you'll find another way out. You know, that's that was that was kind of where it was coming from. So, someone's taking away your son, like that's in like your, the physical son. This, you know, someone's killing a star. Uh, what do you do? You know, you got to find another way to live. So, um, and then it was just me like literally playing Rainbow Six and then trying to write these lyrics. And then, uh, and then the next day when we're in the studio, we recorded the vocals on the Sunday. And then Chris gets back to me, he's like, Hey, so you, you got those lyrics? I'm like, Oh, uh, yeah. Um, And I'm still like writing them out on messenger in my phone, (laughs) trying to work out what, what it should be. Um, and then, and then I had this weird, and again, this was all for that one little five, four bit. And then I don't know why, but I just listened to the song a different way. And then, uh, And then it got to the the guitar-like bit in where the vocals actually kick in now. And I'm like, oh, the vocals should totally follow that section. Like that should be, that's the vocal section. That's the vocal section. That's the, yep, 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 cool. And just had, again, that little madman. That's the vocal section. And just like, again, on on the notes app in my phone, just like writing it out and just making sure it all lines up. And then I quickly wrote it onto the charts like late Saturday night um, after we've done the day in the studio, sent it to everyone. And then Sunday afternoon, Chris comes in. Um, and then Chris, our drummer, Chris Allison, he's like, I'm like, yep, you're going to stay you're gonna sing. and you're going to sing on this. He's like, I don't sing. I'm like, I know that's, that's why you're going to do it. So then, and so if I did actually record this on a GoPro, but I, I'm, I'll, I'll put the footage up eventually, but, um, the, the footage is basically the three of us looking at our phones, singing and screaming into like the corner of the room because we didn't know the lyrics because mm. it was literally made up mm. a day before. Um, and then, and then even Chris is like, what's the melody? And I'm like, so it's just one. Oh, you know, it was like trying to sing it to him. And he's like, Oh, okay. And and I'm like, but let's record us trying to work it out because I think that's going to be quite, I think that's the beautiful way of this, how this will work. Mm. So the takes that are on there are literally the second, the third take and the fourth take and the fifth take. Um, And we just kept layering and we just moved the mics around in the room and, and just kept trying to make it as big as we could and still keep it as loose as we could. So mm. it was even just like, don't learn the lyrics, just read it off your phone guys. And just, scream it out you know Mm. um and yeah it it came out quite powerful like it was i was actually really nervous to hear that section like i wasn't nervous to hear anything else um when the mix was going to happen like i was i trusted tim wholeheartedly but i was really ready to hit the delete key on that vocal section um and it's one of my again another one of my favorite bits i don't know if it's because it challenged me or it pushed us in a new thing but it was just definitely something special um and tim nailed the sound of that and the you know the actual recording and live, it's actually one of the the nice big bits. Like it just, it feels big. And I think in our set, which is mostly instrumental, like when that, we always close with yellow now, like that's our big banger at the end. And just to have that vocal line kind of kicking right towards the end, just is just this extra level of just, I guess, relief and, and also restraint where it's just this one step of just, we've just gone this extra level right before we finish, you know, mm. which I think is quite nice.
0: sort of a more mundane detail yeah so you start off with a self-titled album yep then you have got two yeah you have got three yep. why are you
1: sort of titling them that, them that way uh it was initially for me to keep track i'm i am not person i'm not a person who is good with song names um in the same way that i'm i don't listen really to listen to lyrics and i don't like lyrical content generally um it's it kind of put me in a world where i don't really know song names so even when I listen to albums, I'm like, oh, I love that sixth song, you know, mm. or the fourth song is amazing. Like the, the closer on the third song, like I can, I can sing, I can play it for you. Um, can't tell you what the song name is. Can't tell you what the lyrics are, you know? Um, So when it kind of got to the working stage, like the first album was self-titled because I did believe in the whole, if you're going to release a first album, just keep it simple in that, I guess the branding way. Don't confuse people that your band name is, could be the album name, or the album mm. name could be the band mm. name. Um, and then with the second album, it was more like, oh, it's the second one. I'll just call it oh, – and, like, the working file was just two. Like, that was – it was just, like, in my folders in my on my Mac, it was just, like, one and two. And then it just kind of stayed as two. And then I'm like, all right, well, second one was three. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the next one will be called 3.1 because it continues the idea of three. But then there will be a four. Mm. Um, but I, I've also found Kind of interest In the idea Of writing it differently So 2 is like The Roman numeral 2 um, 3 is the number 3 mm-hmm. uh, And 3.1 is also The number 3.1 Because it follows on From 3 So it's, they're still kind of I call, I consider them One massive concept album With two concept albums Inside it mm. um, But then 4 Will be different And then 5 Will be different And let's see how many I can smash out Before I run out of ideas <laughs> Of how to write numbers <laughs> uh,
0: Yeah Mm-mm. Um. So in terms of three point one, yeah. Um. I know you don't want to go too much into it, obviously. But like, what what,
1: what stage of progress is that? It's done. Oh. Um. The artwork is all finalised. It's ready to go. Um. Uh. Just to keep it, we won't be debuting anything at ProgFest just yet because mm. um because Chris, our drummer, he is away with plenty at the moment over in the states. So we've got Alex from Meniscus filling in. Um. Because again, Alex and I play in three other bands together so he is he is my next best weapon uh purely because he can read my mind and i can read his mind so it makes sense you know like just get the guy who can read everything that's happening and you work really well with and it was also a fucking incredible drummer as well um so it makes sense uh so i didn't want to give him a new song and also didn't want to rush a new song on the 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 guys as well um but at the same time i kind of want to Make sure it's right. I'm very I'm very big on making sure you do it once you do it right. So mm. um so Progress is all about just, just going big with that. Um and midway through the year we will be touring again. So when the, the new um the new release comes out, um and we will be going overseas again. So I don't know how much more I should say. I guess if you ask the right questions, but it will be, it will be co-released again through artist, catharsis and birds robe. Uh, And yes, it is a concept album following on from three. So if you like three, I think 3.1 is a genuine, like just get into it straight away because it, it really does follow on the concept. Um, I think it's great. Of course I do. I, I wrote it and made it. Um, but like even uh, the people who I have shown it to who necessarily don't have bias or shouldn't have bias have actually been quite impressed with it. Even to the point where we shot the music video on Monday this week. Mm. Um, and even our DAP, who sh- he shot the ton clip and the covert clip. And he was just like, this is different. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, this is pretty. I'm like, pretty? And he's like, it's pretty. Like, it's really pretty. Um, and it's still just... As chaotic, but it's kind of like, I guess more. it's a bit more understated because it fits. It's a different, it's a, the idea is different, I guess. Mm,
0: mm, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, you mentioned progress. Let's dive progress, a little bit yeah. into uh, Seams as a live band.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: there seems to be a lot going on. Like, how do you manage that <laughs> as a live band? We,
1: we take a sound technician everywhere we go uh, because there's a lot going on. It's, I I genuinely feel sorry for soundies who are just kind of thrown at us. Um because it's a lot, you know. So uh so with if we just look at the live lineup to begin with, so there's myself, so I play bass six and bass and synth, and I also sing. Then we've got um Saoirse on guitar, so she only stays on guitar, but she's her, her her dynamic range is kind of it's quite huge. Then we've got Paul, uh Paul Mayer, so he plays synth and trumpet. Um and then we've got Chris on oh sorry, and Paul also sings. And then we've got Chris on drums who also has uh, like a sampler and stuff like that. So I guess when we don't have uh, a cellist or a violinist with us, it's through the backing tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also has like some cool pad sound effects and stuff like that. Uh, and he also sings. So from from a technical point for a, for a front of house dude, uh, it's just a bit annoying because there's a lot of things and, and – um, even when we played ProgFest last year, like the poor soundy, I was like, did you get the input list? And he's like, yeah, I don't have that many inputs on this desk though. I'm like, going to have to find them because, you know, well, we're just going to have to get really clever and, and MacGyver this because it's all part of the sound, you know. Mm. Um, so traditionally Michael Taverner, who, does, who looks after, we Sea, he's our go-to because um, he's just great at what he does. Um, yeah, but it's it's it, it's a lot. And and then there's been a few instances where we've actually not been able to play venues because they actually don't have the capacity for our sound, even though we're a quartet. But there's just a lot going on, mm. um, and there's a point where you actually get to we actually max out inputs on a desk because mm. it's that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you're playing live, yeah, like what are you trying to do? Um, I've kind of had this philosophy since philosophy since I was about seventeen. And and the philosophy comes from, I went and saw a mates band who had just put out an album and I loved it, like it was great. And again, this is like you know that like, that Dead Letter Circus scene, like Dead Letter Circus Butterfly Fat Carnival. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And then I saw them play a show. It took me a year to see them, and I saw them play a show and I fucking hated it because they didn't perform. I'd paid like twenty dollars, which at that time for me. is a lot of money, you know, Mm -hmm. especially when I was like doing the whole Woolies run for lunch and doing like the $3 sandwich of like going to the deli and buying like a pack of six bread rolls and, you know, so 20 bucks. And they just didn't perform. They just didn't convince me that I should care. And I did care. And that was the problem. Right. So, so it's kind of been born out of this idea of put on a show, right? If people are paying to come and see a show, give them a show. Um, And what's your idea of a show, you know, and you look at like bands like Meniscus who like they put on a show, you know, they're performers, they've got the screen, like Marty's incredible projectionist and they do cool things like that. With seams for me, it's, it's about, it's about conviction, right? It's about pulling someone in or pushing someone away. And I think the greatest example of this was when we, um, we supported Regurgitator a little while back at the Metro and, um, and Regurgitator's manager had previously, so God's Wins had previously toured with Regurgitator, and um and Paul, the guy who looks after them, was just like, "Hey, you've also you said you had another band that's kind of similar to this." I'm like, "Oh yeah, it seems it's not it's similar but not, but you know here it is." And then a year later, he's like, "Hey, do you guys want to do the Regurgitator show with Seams?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." And um and I was a bit worried because I was like, "Are they gonna?" Like you know, like I guess when most people, are, when you think of it, like people going to a reggaeton show, are you just the crowd that's going there to you know smash out the bangers from the past. I don't care about anything else. I don't want to hear anything that's new, you know. I just want to hear Unit, like play Unit. So, um, so I was, I was. That's the first time I was a bit like, oh, seems doesn't really fit this bill. But I was like, you know, I don't care. We do what we do, and we put on a show. Um, and then you, when we played, we saw the room split. People who were like in the middle came forward. People who were in the middle also left, and I and I was really excited by that because there was this beautiful thing of us going, "This is us," and nobody was in the crowd talking. Like it was silent when we were silent, and we brought people in, and they, whoever we brought in, they loved it. And there were also people just like, "Oh, this is giving me heart palpitations. I need to walk out the door. Like I can't, I can't handle this." I'm like, "That's cool. I don't care if you don't like it, because you know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. That's mm. that's fine. But we told you who we were, and we still put on a show." that made you feel something even if that something was absolute disgust and Mm. you know and hate that's cool and and then straight away the act who was on after us i saw the complete opposite he was background music and no one cared and everyone talked through his set and everyone meandered and no one paid attention no one was captivated and then and that was that was my that was my moment of just like yeah that's worse that's worse when when people just couldn't give a shit either way Mm. that's worse so when when you look at our i guess our set just in general we we are big performers like we do go all, all out i i always end up with sore limbs the next day and i'm quite okay with that like it is worth it you know um but it's always about that big sound it's always about pushing and making people feel something again whether it's like absolute love or joy or angst or hate or sadness feel something um and uh, and there's and there's guaranteed there's always one person at every show who's always come up to us and gone what was that and then I always go are you seeing this in a positive way or in a negative way and either way that's okay mm. and they're always like no no in a positive like I don't I, what what was that like what do you call it like what is this is this a genre is this. Like, how do I, how do I find this? How do I Google this? Like, like, what's your band name? What's what, 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 how do I get more into this? And for me, that's really important, you Mm. know, because you do get that person who's just like, you've just flipped someone's mind. And I guess this is the, probably the most out point to rewind back to that battle story. That was when I saw battles as well. And that same thing happened to me. Um, I bought their album purely based on cover art because I was like, oh, that's a cool cover. And it's just, it's the mirrored album. So like literally just a bunch of really cool gear in a mirrored room in a black space. I'm like, that's cool. I'll buy it, listen to it. That's cool. I'll go see a show. But it was when I saw the show, that was also that moment where I was just like, well, what is that? What is like, I I need to know something about it, right? And I think the ability to create a what if idea in someone's head, is is hard to do now because there is so much content, there is so much that's going on out there. So to create anyone, to, to make anyone think about something in a different way, it's quite hard, but it's also quite, uh, quite, it's quite happy. It makes me quite happy because then you're kind of giving them the, the idea that something else exists out there, and whether they want to explore it or not, again, that's up to them. But something else exists, and they're at least a little bit more educated, a bit more enlightened, and a bit more like willing to experiment or you know follow that path if they choose to. And it's always, it seems to work out for the better.
0: Mm, mm, mm. It's funny, that actually reminds me. So uh, do you know A Million Dead Birds Laughing? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, so they're like a grindcore band, but yeah. they've like, got a bit of technicality to them. But, yeah, yeah. Um, saw them, I think, may have actually been, we were discussing this previously off mic, um, when we were, I think they were supporting neighbor of the Skyrise, maybe.
1: Oh, yes, right. Yeah. Maybe. I can't
0: remember. I'll I lose yeah. track of all these things. But uh, my friend was just like, I don't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'd listened to them previously, I knew what was going on. But yeah, he had yeah, no yeah. idea. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like, especially because, like, we're, we're, we were both sort of into extreme music but when you can sort of push the boundaries a bit more that's exciting times
1: yeah and I think I think also we're we're quite not a traditional math rock band like there's a a bit of twinkly twinkly tappy guitar here and there not much you know I try to kind of stay away from tropes in general because I hate being obvious I don't like the idea of people knowing what to expect Um, and I think and I think there's enough in there where, you know, like we've got the two synths going, like so I'll swap from bass to synth, but then I'll play both at the same time. And then you've got the trumpets that come out come out, and then we break genre and like, you go from Math Rock to Mariachi for a bit. And then it goes to like this really cool moody stuff. And then like even we do um, a Porter's Head cover, uh, which Sam Errol Guitarist suggested, which was just like one of those beautiful ideas of like, yeah, Porter's Head because we wouldn't do a Porter's Head cover. So let's do a Porter's Head cover. Um, but then how do we do that? Because we don't want to sing it. Mm. So we do it with trumpet. Like the trumpet does the vocal, and everyone else does everything else, and it's it's just cool, you know. So there's always there's always this idea of just you know keep people on their toes, and you know just keep them keep them for like leaning in, you know, or let them lean back. Just make them again feel something, you know. So uh, yeah, so every show is always a big moment for us, I think, and we've we've been known for our shows now. Like I didn't think we were a band that would be that band, but it's quite an exciting thing to kind of be known for. Like go see them, you'll get a show, which is, hold my whole thing since I was seventeen. So it's mm-hmm. nice that that's kind of come around.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one thing I think I missed when we were talking about the album. Yeah. So you and Chris, the drummer. Yeah. Like, how, how does that work between you guys? Like, you're so you're working on some material. When does he kind of come into the mix? Because yeah. uh, credits on the album arrangement, Chris Adelson.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll still write everything, um, and that's pretty much how it is. Um, but what I'll do is I will write out the drums for the most part, but I don't want him to play my drums because that's me. That's my voice. Right. So, so I'll write out the basic structure and, and even I'll give him guides in my charts of like, Hey, at this bit actually play the bit that I've written, you know, like it might be a specific rhythm or I need that kick or I need that snare to be in a certain place. So I'd really like that rhythm, but then in other parts, you fucking you do whatever you want you be you, you be you yeah. um so there's already a framework then there's already a guide um and when we did three uh chris and i literally just had one two-hour session together we were met up at a rehearsal studio and he's like all right so i'm kind of thinking this for this bit yeah cool this for this bit uh yeah but can you do you know make it less like take more kicks out oh yeah cool yeah uh, what about this oh yeah that's cool actually i didn't even think about that but let's now delete that bar and Oh yeah, cool. Actually, yeah, let's clear that whole section. So it's it's a really it's quite a minimal it's more of a conversation rather than like demoing ideas back and forth. Um, because it's more, I guess, more about the bigger picture, about the, the, the bigger composition, right? Like what's it actually contributing? Um I don't get too fast on the details because again, you can, you know, details are details, like so let him be him. Mm. Um so yeah, so it was just kind of like one meetup, and then when we get to the studio, and that was it, and we just record. Um and then uh and I mean, Chris is a beast. Like, it was always the first take was the take, um, especially considering how insane that music is and how insane his parts are. Um, but we'd always do a second take because there there'd be some other idea would come through. And it's actually like, oh, you know, how about you just don't play the snare in that bit at all? Or oh yeah, okay, yeah. Um, and it was and it was always still an evolving conversation. So I think a great example of this is in Yellow, the the drums for the most part in that song are all me except for the 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 tappy bit in this uh the seven eight three how's it go seven eight three four seven eight seven eight three four seven eight three yeah the so that bit that was all him um i'd written something that was dumber um and he was just like i think it actually just needs groove because um, I had quite a mathy bit underneath. He's like, I just want to kind of groove under it and just, um, and then when he played that, I'm like, yep, sweet. Um, and then like the big the big vocal section, again, that was a conversation, but that was all pretty much him. Um, and then when we get to that big five, four, like it's a pretty straight beat, but like there's accents in certain places. But then also with the rest of Yellow, like that whole start, that whole build up, that was all pretty charted pretty hard because I, I wanted this specific build with the kicks and then i wanted like the, the sorry i wanted the like the the hi hat the off high hat because after the synth break then the hi hat goes back on the beat but it was off the beat so there's like that little trick of like oh i thought the beat was here but now it's actually here and then um uh and i wanted that kick build up and the snare build up a certain way and that just that four four dance like i just really wanted that feel in it but then with cyan he had a lot more freedom over it because it was more like this is the idea and, you know, in the 7-4 the sections in the synth, you know, it does this at a certain bit and I want it to go big at this bit. I need the kick and the snare to be in this place. You go for it. Um, so there's a lot more power over that. And then, like, half of that song is him just kind of jamming it out anyway, mm. so to speak. Uh, yeah. So – and then and uh, I guess Imperfect Black was the nice, like, in-between where he'd arranged a lot of it but I'd written a lot of it because there was a certain – like with the 7-8 bits in the verses, like I really was particular about having the kick start the first bar, but then the snare start the, f- the second bar of, of seven. So there was like this constant I- idea of like it kind of like turned over itself and flipped over itself. And then the whole end section, he was like, I kind of want to play the 4-4, four, four, but with the five three four four underneath it, like, and just play counter rhythm. and like, you're an idiot. And <laughs> the fact that you can do that's amazing. And of course you want to do that. <laughs> and of course it's going to sound amazing. And of course it does sound amazing. So just go for it. Yeah, so so it's he uh, he definitely brings a lot to the table with the with three point one, we didn't have the ability to do that just because he was touring with, um, uh, Mestis and David Maxim Maximimich, so like the dude from Animals Leaders, like he was on tour with those guys overseas, so it was a bit more like I just sent him the charts and went here's here's the song and then when he when we finally got to the studio he was just like okay I'll just play that, um, but we still workshopped it as we were playing because again he's incredible and we have that ability to just quickly talk it through and be like, Oh, I want the build up. Oh, I didn't want it accented. Oh, I think it'd be cool with accents. Oh yeah, actually just do it with accents. All right, cool. Um, do you want that? Do you actually want that disco bit as it is in the chart? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I just don't, I don't want to do that here. Okay. Don't do that there. You just do what you want to do. And that's, that's as beautifully organic as it, as it is. Mm. And I think that's how it should be because again, you've got that person bringing their expertise and their feel. And I think that's what makes it what it is. Mm,
0: mm, mm.
1: Mm, very interesting
0: um so you've mentioned that you've got a bunch of other projects going as well as <laughs> yeah um talk a little bit about what's going on with them at the moment
1: so uh i guess the most current one that's that's happening right now so this is why i'm in melbourne with you so uh, with no mandate so no mandate is a three-piece uh with myself uh, on bass Jochen uh on guitar so Jochen plays in a band called hinteland which is a chamber orchestra and alex o'toole on drums so alex from meniscus um, but also plays with me in a band called No, which is a two-piece. Uh, so, uh, And also he plays in Captain kick and the Awesomes, which is his band, which I also play in. Um, and then there's uh, there's God's Wounds, which is that giant six-piece monolith, so myself and the old Seams lineup, uh, headed up by Lachlan Kerr. We've got two drummers, trumpet, guitar, bass, keys, and five vocals, but then also Denny Heifetz, who from mr bungle who also plays and that band also plays trumpet sometimes because why not we've already got two drummers we may 12 well have two trumpet players um so so there's that oh god there's so many hold on so okay no way i got it okay so seems no mandate so I'll, I'll okay wait let's rewind this again because i'm i i track so i'll give you a short description mm. of the genre how about that because then sure. we yeah okay so seams math rock no mandate dub punk that's what we call it. It's a bit mathy. It's cool. Uh, no. So that's the duo with me, myself and Alex. Uh, and that's whatever it needs to be, I guess. It's noisy. It's sometimes math rock. It's sometimes post rock. It's sometimes metal. Um, it's kind of how we feel. It's all improvised. I'm uh, not very, doing a very good job of giving you a short descriptions of this. Uh, then there's uh, Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of a Tony Hawk Pro Skater Cover Band. Um, which is literally as the name suggests we're a band that plays the sound the soundtrack from the Tony Hawk Pro Skater cover games um which uh, so we we only play festivals we supported guttermouth um we famously had our show at vivid sydney get shut down from the lockout laws um so I even had to go on tv and talk about that and was on the project and the huffington post and pedestrian we went viral that was Cool, but really annoying. Um, Then there's also Violence in Action, which is like an avant-garde thing. So that kind of features members of Instrumental Adjective, uh, Kurashimi. I guess Conducted on the Kurashimi record. So sometimes, not often, I fill in and conduct with them. Then there's also... uh, um, I've lost track of where I was up to. There's also... Oh, I've also got a solo thing that should be ready next year-ish, I guess. And it's more of like a jazzy... uh, Solo acoustic fretless bass type of thing. So that's way more just down the experimental path. And that's more just, I have a fretless bass and I feel like I should justify its use. So why <laughs> not just put an album out? Um, and then there's also, I play for a couple of pop artists. Um, and then also, there's another Normcore band called We Dead, which is um, the drummer, the singer from La Pai. So like a Triple J female artist. She plays drums. Um, and then there's like a, it's just like four chord stuff. It's not really uh, anything magical it's just cool though nathan if you're listening to this you know it's not magical um i'm not backing you out you just know what it is and you said this yourself so um and then there is also uh oh i know i'm forgetting like two more oh did i already mention god twins yeah i did yeah, yeah. um yeah let's just stop there for now i guess sure, let's yeah my, look i basically i'm very good with my calendar I'm very good with it. so I think I think the beauty as well is because I mean the the music scene in Australia is it's small enough where everyone kind of plays in multiple projects. So um it magically works out that uh, so say like December and January right now is no mandates touring period, um, which we're wrapping up today, and then uh, Seams will take over my focus back in march to to May to June. Um, and then some there's some cool things for uh, Birdman. Happening around Feb or early March Hopefully I hope that comes off I can't talk about it I don't want to jinx it But I really hope (laughs) it comes off Because it'd be so cool Um, And then God's Wounds uh, Should be back in action I think early next year So it'll probably start up At the end of the year So it's all pretty It's all pretty uh, Busy Mm. Yeah I think it actually helps that now Because Chris plays with Pliny So he's overseas for half the year So it does definitely define The Steam's calendar a bit more So whenever he's back that's when we do stuff so it's it's good to have that for planning um yeah yeah i like music yeah. <laughs> in short i really like music
0: yeah in case anyone anyone was unclear <laughs> yeah yeah um so i think i've got one more question for you but before yeah. i get to that um talk a little bit about the Sydney scene because we here down in Melbourne. Yeah, I, mean, I love Melbourne. Yeah, for that reason. Yeah, like we we hear a little bit about the Sydney issues with live music. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it's it's not in a good place. Um I think so there's 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 two big sides to this coin. Um the first is like the Sydney when we talk about the Sydney scene, if we talk about actual musicians, there's some really fucking incredible musicians who are doing some amazing things um what what's happening is we're losing infrastructure so there's we're losing venues there's not as many opening there's a lot more closing um there's a lot more regulations being put in uh, a lot more noise complaints being put in and which are being easily acted upon quicker and quicker by the day um so like it's just it's in this weird you you can you can see the downhill battle that it's become which at the same time it's kind of forcing the underground scene to start up once again because when you run out of venues, you've got to work out for places to play because people are still going to play in bands um, and they need to play because everybody has an ego and everybody has a want to someone hear their music. So you've got to create places. Um, so that's cool. Uh, but you're losing like there's the, the venues for like a capacity of like, you know, the average 150 people, 100 people venue. I think there's like six now. Like six. Like there used to be like 40. Um, back in – like you know, I think this is showing my age, but like ten, fifteen years ago, I am only thirty three. I am not that old, um, but like you know, when I was when I was when I really started getting into playing in the music scene, like when I was nineteen, twenty, we would have a gig every two, three weeks at a different place, like constantly, and it was very easy to get a gig, and there was it was very easy to get a crowd at that gig. Um, and now you are kind of watching everything diminished into like these these few places that are left, and the perception that there isn't much on means that people just don't go out because there's not much on. So then it's harder to kind of keep that lifestyle alive when people just feel like there's actually nothing happening. Mm. So then they don't actively just go out to find out what's on. Whereas every time we come and tour in Melbourne, like we'll play our show and then I'm like, all right, let's go out. There'll be something on. And there is, but taking away that mentality of just like, Oh, let's just go out and find something on. The moment you take that out of people's minds, I think you've already done half the justice and and that's definitely the way media, the media's pushed it which has definitely in turn influenced people who go out. Um so there's not much of a support for new places and this was when when the Birdman gig got shut down. So this was this was a deviation from seams but so yeah Birdman punk band like we'll play a vivid show um and and you know Vivid's all about you know reviving Sydney's nightlife that's that's the point of Vivid. So it's kind of ironic that we get shut down for playing a gig. Um in the heart of Oxford street, which is where Sydney's nightlife theoretically should be, but it's not anymore because heaps of places are shutting down. Um, And the statement that I kind of like the, the real feeling behind it for me was again, when, when I was like 1920, there were so many places that you could play. And I, and I'm quite thankful for that because it took us a while to be good, like to really get good at being a band on stage. Mm. You know, it's very different from being a good musician. Um, you you know you have to learn how to perform. You have to learn stagecraft. It's a very different thing. And because we had that practice every two, three weeks, I've seen the videos of when I was 16 and I've seen the videos of when I was 19. And even in those three years, big difference, you know? But because we were able to get out there and play so many shows all the time in front of random people. So then when you take away that for the next generation of musicians, where do they have to cut their teeth, right? They don't have anywhere. And that's, that's my actual fear because then you start inciting a generation of just not performers. And I think that's the only reason why bands like, not that I like them, but like the June rats and the sticky fingers and all those, you know, like those randoms who just sing about weed and getting high. And like, it's, it's, it's fucking boring, but like they're great performers because they're used to playing DIY shows in garages in Brisbane, you know? So they, they know how to put on a show, but you are kind of taking that, that out from the Sydney scene because, there's, there's there's kind of like nowhere for them to kind of like get good at playing on a stage. And there's been a few, not even Steam shows, but just shows with other bands that I've played in the past where we've played with younger bands, uh, not necessarily younger by age, but just younger in, in like, you know, they're a new band and they're all in like their early 20s, but they just don't know how to perform. And and you ask them, you're like, you guys have been around for a while and you've got clearly got like a Facebook following. They're like, oh yeah, but you know, we don't really play many gigs. We play like three gigs. And it's like, it, you can tell. You played three gigs, and and my concern is, you know, if you're not encouraging the arts to grow in, in Sydney, especially, you're kind of watching. it. Like, what are you what are you doing for the next generation? Like, you're are you you you're intent, you're intentionally promoting that Sydney is not an arts scene, that is not encouraged. It's not encouraging growth. Um, if anything, it's actually encouraging people to move to Melbourne or Brisbane because there's actually more going on, mm-hmm. and you can do cool things. And you can. Like every time we come to Melbourne, we, we always have a great time. We play some great shows. Um, and same with Brisbane. And Sydney, it's, it's always a hit and miss based on, you know, if the football's on, which that's pretty sad. Um, yeah, so just watching places kind of get shut down on the regular is pretty, it's pretty heartbreaking. So we all try and do what we can, like even to the point where um, the Hideaway Bar, which is a place just in Enmore, next to the Enmore Theatre, um, and it's a small, small part. But, like, again, another place where they book a lot of younger bands because so kids can cut their teeth. They had a noise complaint put in from a restaurant across the road because they were playing loud music at six o'clock at night on a Saturday. And it's like, um, your restaurant's on fucking Enmore Road. Like, that is a busy road. There's, but, like, surely the buses are louder, you know? Um, So, like, they did a fundraiser to raise money for insulation for the front doors. And, you know, I chipped in a, a large ish sum because I was just like, I'm so sick of this happening. Like, you know, you all kind of got to band together and do what we can to save venues and, and make sure that these places exist. So to the point where like, even some of the guys from we also see and myself, like we've been chatting about, should we just start up a venue? Like just a non-for-profit just so we have somewhere to play, just so other people have somewhere to play because we should, right? Like, it's just, it sucks that, that things are being taken for no reason you know other than real estate and, and commercial development um and dollars because oh hey let's just knock down a warehouse because we can put a 30-story apartment building up because money you're like yeah i guess because money but when you knock down that that warehouse that was a venue you got to put that somewhere else no nah. but you should you know like and that's and that's that's the biggest thing that we're seeing and you know melbourne has such a culture of arts which is great and again another reason why i love it but every time i come here like i think a great example was I was actually down here in Melbourne on a Monday for work. So I wasn't actually here for a gig. I was here for work. And it was like 9 o'clock and the guy I was with down here for work and he and I were just like, let's go out for dinner. And we will like, let's just walk to like a, um, Chin Chin, like down next to ACDC Lane and we'll go to Cherry Bar afterwards and just hang out. Um, so it was like a half-hour walk from the hotel. But everything was open. People were out. This is the middle of winter. People were out on the streets. People were having a good time. Um, it was very clear that Melbourne was switched on. In Sydney, Monday, nine o'clock, it's shut. Everything is shut. Everything is closed. The bars are empty. There's no one playing music. The most you will get is some dude playing Eagle Eye Cherry covers on an acoustic guitar. And you're like, oh my God, just fucking end my life now. Like That's, that's what they're now considering as entertainment in, in most venues. And it's kind of sad to see the Annandale Hotel, like the actual pinnacle of like rock and prog rock and metal back in the day turn into this cafe, bistro thing. And when they say they have live music, it is literally a two-piece playing Eagle Eye Cherry and Oasis on acoustic guitars. It's just like, I used to see, like, I've seen the Bronx play here, you know? Like I've played here so many times. Progfest used to be there back in the day. Well, Prog had two stages there um and now yeah you can go have like a hot dog for 17 dollars and watch a duet play eagle eye cherry isn't that cool it's great good work sydney yeah so uh yeah so every time i come to melbourne there is a part of me that's just i kind of want to move to melbourne um but i, I sydney's still i i guess my heart which is i don't know I, I hope i hope something happens there needs to be a shake up. There needs to be, yeah,
0: mm. Mm. yeah. It's like there's so many different areas of life, but like it, it shows you like the real importance of actually having a
1: plan when it comes to the the things yeah. that exist
0: in you know every area of the country, but particularly metropolitan areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And when you when you see that it's actually not being focused on, you can tell. And you can tell in that same respect that Melbourne does have a focus on the arts. You can tell straight away because there's a lot going on all the time all the time and Sydney now nah. and that's why vivid is so important that's why Sydney fest is so important but if anything I think they're now actually kind of um like bookending the calendar year so people go out for Sydney fest and people go out for vivid and then that's it um and you kind of see that more like I think with the the whole prog scene the metal scene and stuff like obviously every fan in that genre they'll go to a gig when they go to a gig um but it's it's that that knock on effect that you're starting to see really disappear as well. It's pretty bad. Mm, mm. Yeah, um, I lied.
0: Two more questions.
1: Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> uh, so you... I've got nothing else to do today. Like I've got sound check at um, seven. So I'm cool. Like sure. that's still hours away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, actually, I think we might be hitting the longest. Infinity. Oh really? Yeah. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Because um, you're gonna have to edit the shit out of this. No, who was it? No. Um, so it was previously it was Adam Kluger from Project Incense. Oh, Nonsense. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it was uh, guy from Tangled uh, Thoughts of Leaving.
1: Oh, uh, Ron. No,
0: no, no. The new, the new guitarist, I think.
1: Oh, I don't know him. I only know Ron. Yeah, but yeah. I, I can't Fuck, I loved him. When we drove down here, we listened to um, uh, two Tangled Thoughts. Albums back to back. It was just so good. And our guitarist had never really heard Tangle Thoughts. He's like, "Oh, really? Oh, I've always heard they're a good band." And we're like, uh, "Excuse me, what? <laughs> Give me the iPod." <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was yeah a good. That was like the the silentest hour and a half we've had in the car because everyone's just quiet listening to Tangle Thoughts, and we just had it blasting. It's great, mm. so good.
0: Mm. Mm. But yeah, so early in the, I think right at the top of the show, you mentioned kind of your progression not in terms of specific
1: bands, but yeah. of
0: like you as a musician to mm. so
1: talk a little bit about that and where you feel you're headed. Oh, right. Okay. That's, that's actually an interesting question because I, this is kind of the point where I, I start re questioning, not so much, not seems at all, but more like what's, what's my role? What's my point? And the very interesting contribution to this question is my deterioration. So I don't know if you've noticed, but my left arm twitches a lot. Um, and I've got two issues with, with this. So I've got tennis innovitis, so basically um, like a really bad tennis elbow. So my I'm actually missing tendons. Uh, they've actually deteriorated in my arm uh, quite badly. Um, and then I've got a nerve issue down my whole left arm as well. Um, and this is from excessive years of playing stupidly hard music. Um, I, I started noticing it about – it was four years ago now. So we actually did a, a really cool warehouse show back in Marrickville – and it was – I actually had to play in two bands. So it was um, Triangle, which was Simon Dawes from uh, Instrumental Adjective, his mm-hmm. band. Uh, so Triangle opened and then there was a Captain kick and the Awesome set followed by God's Wounds and we had an hour set for each band and both both bands are quite musically challenging as they are. So um, – and that was where I started to notice like, oh, I'm starting to get sore now. Um and now it's deteriorated to the point where I, I have to get like lots of checkups and, and I don't have any strength in my hand. So um, I have to get people to open bottles for me. Um, I can't carry things. I can't, I don't have much tension in my left hand now. Um, and it's going like doctors have said, I've got about 10, 15 years left on my hand, um, which is kind of, I haven't found it scary. I've kind of found it like exciting that there's a challenge to like get as much out as I can. Um but like that's that's a realist a realistic problem, right? Um, and this is this is literally from years and years of playing really hard, challenging music, and also not warming up before I play because I'd always just go into rehearsal and then yeah, let's shred for three hours, you know. Um, and then you do that three times a week back in the day, and then you go play two shows. And even now, like we don't seems never rehearses. Like we, you know, everyone's great, so don't need to rehearse. Um, but it's still it's still taxing after a show or after a rehearsal now for me, um, and. Uh, it's it kind of makes you rethink and like and i've noticed also um when i play piano like my left my left hand is really starting i have to have more effort to play which makes it harder which also means i can't use as much when i play bass it's still fine when i play guitar it's still fine i have more trouble on guitar because the frets are smaller so it's more smaller smaller moves which is it starts freaking out my hand and then just years and years of obviously working on a computer um and that not being a good thing um and uh, and probably also you know Trying to clock in 400 hours on Pokemon Pearl back in the day on the DS, and you know, just like getting a little claw around the DS. Um, but uh, yeah, so so that makes me go right. So 15 years away, theoretically, I'm I'm 50. Um, but also, it could deteriorate before, like it, that's that's when it stops, right? So if it if it stops, then it may actually stop kind of working sooner. Um, and there are points where I just I actually can't use my arm. I can't use my hand, so as a musician, where do I go? So I think the beauty with seams, which has been the first challenge, was just be able to play everything. Uh, but then it's kind of shifted the focus for me as to compose everything. Um, so that's that's always an interesting thing, right? So and like I said, like I I always joke about like you know to the point where I may not play anything on the on the last albums or whatever. But maybe maybe it goes down that path. I don't know, right? Because that's it. Still seems because I'm still writing it i don't necessarily need to play everything um but it's still my voice and my idea and my concept i guess um but then also it it changes how i have to play in other bands and i have to be more about my posture now and i have to do all these exercises and it's like it's it's hurting me now like it's it's painful it's painful all the time so then as a musician where do i go the other the other thing that i i i so when do you know do you know much of the band battles no i do not no okay cool so so just for context, so Battles four piece math rock band made up of the drummer from Helmet, uh the guitarist from um uh oh sorry, sorry, yeah, drum from helmet, uh the guitarist from Oh fuck, what are you playing now? I've just it's totally gone off my mind. Um some other cool band. Um and then um Day Braxton from Profuse seventy three. Um, which is like a techno band, right? So they come together, they make this weird math rock stuff and they all there's all like live looping and samples and guitars playing really weird and it's all about palm mutes, not about actual notes and huge use on effect pedals and it's all about effects and, you know, you play one note but turn it into like a cello sounding type of thing and re- it, it's incredible, like Battles I love. Uh, and Battles eventually split up into two projects. So Battles stayed as a three-piece and then Teonde Braxton basically went off and went and did his own thing. Um, his dad Anthony Braxton is like this really well known avant-garde jazz saxophonist um, so I think there's already that bloodline of just doing weird fucked up shit and then and uh, Tandai released this incredible album called Central Market back in 2009 and for me that's actually one of the albums that really started the idea of Seams because it was just such a fresh sound that i never heard before it's for me it's basically Disney's Fantasia but with synths but like It's just incredible. Like it is so rich and so forward-thinking, without being avant-garde and you know too too disparate and trying to push you away because like, hey, look at me, I'm being kooky. Like it's none of that. It's just fucking cool, well-written music with an orchestra and synths. That's great. Um, So so part of me thinks I may go down that path, and I and I find it exciting. Like I think ideally I'd like to be in a position where I'm conducting an orchestra and not actually playing it. But just conduct it and write the charts and stuff, because that's something I've never done. It it's something that really intrigues my interest. It's also something that doesn't need I don't need my arm for, which is cool. Um, and I think I think that, and I think just not having that classically trained background means it's still going to be something out there. You know, it could be a Seams esque type of thing, considering how much orchestration is on the next album as well, and and stuff like that. Or it could go further and just be like this giant. You know, like when John Maud did his stuff. From, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think that's where it could be. Um, the, the, also, the running joke, and I've had this chat with um, Alex from Sleep Makes Waves, uh, where where he always thinks he's going to be a jazz bass player um, in the end because it's just so it's the scariest far from,
0: bass player in the world. Yeah,
1: yeah, totally. With that beard and that shiny head, um, yeah, uh, like that's that's his. That he thinks that that's going to be his forty-five-year-old peak of career you know sleep makes waves no more he's just going to be this weird jazz bass player just trying to do mingus riffs um and for me i've just kind of joked off the idea but my fiance thinks it's true where i'm just going to end up to be like a damon Albarn, just like making sad songs sitting out of synth <laughs> crying to the world and i'm like really and she's like yeah because you because you don't do any of that now and you're going to get to a point where you're just going to go I think pop is cool again <laughs> and you're just going to like find beauty. And like, I really do like soundscapes, but she's like, you're really just going to find beauty in just playing stuff with your right hand only on a synth. And you're just going to do that. And you can play drums because, you know, I don't need to hold, I can't, you know, you don't hold the drumstick. You don't tense it. Like you just, you kind of like, you let it rest. Right. So mm. I can kind of still do that. So, yeah. So she's like, so yeah. So you're just going to do like sick beats in and four, four and, and do radiohead esque type of things. I'm like, really she's like yeah i'm like actually probably yeah you know (laughs) i don't i don't know if i want to do that just yet but uh i can i can definitely see my older self getting to that point um it would be hopefully musically very rich but you know it could be me flipping in 10 years and going i'm sick of everything complicated and i want to simplify everything one note
0: you know well, I mean that's that's kind of a trajectory
1: you have on guard. <laughs> it is right. It is right. Yeah. So um. So I I hope the orchestra thing is the path. I would really love to do something like that. Um. Yeah. Like I I'd written music for a, a TV commercial a while back. Um. And it was an orchestration piece, but we we did it in the studio with like five people and just some clever overdubs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even like the Queensland Symphony Orchestra like tweeted me and they were like, "We love this piece that you've done that you've written." And I'm like. Can I, can I, can, can I come over and just, you guys need to conduct, <laughs> can I, hey guys, how do I, <laughs> yeah, it didn't go so well that time, but uh, I, for me, that's the dream, I think, just mm. to do something really cool and big and just make it different. Like have a 30 piece orchestra, 40 piece orchestra, but don't play orchestral music. Just make a really cool, big sound, mm. you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hopefully. mm one last question, uh, and it's a pretty simple one. What have you been listening to, watching, or reading recently?
1: Oh, ah, okay. Uh, reading, I don't make time for books um, because uh, if I could be reading a book, I could be writing music. So that that's a general thing. Um, but the last book, I last two books I read was um, How Music Works by David Byrne, which is which is cool. And I don't like talking eggs that much, and it was a great read because um, there's some really cool, interesting music theory stuff. Ie, uh, you know, writing music for the space, as opposed to writing music. Just period. So I, I like the birth of stadium rock. How jazz kind of came in development, um, why orchestral music is so legato based because you know halls, reverb, all that. So that was cool. Um, and recently also reread the um, relationship of color by Joseph Albers just because. Again, color theory. I really like nerding out that stuff. And the pictures are pretty because it's art. Um, so that's, that's reading uh, watching. I also don't make time for TV because my day job is in TV. Um, so the last thing I want to do when I come home is mm. watch content. Uh, but having said that, the last few things I've watched um, is I loved the good place. So well-written, such a great perspective um, and, uh, and no activity. Uh, I, re- I really like just twisted dark comedies, um, especially stuff that's really subtle. So even like back in the day, like The Office and Parks and Rec and um, Arrested Development, I love and Thirty Rock. So that that's always kind of my go-to. Um, I recently watched Bandersnatch as well. So I I like Black Mirror. That's my on and off show. Um, Bandersnatch that was pretty fun. Um, everyone's like, oh, it's a revolutionary. It's like, oh my god, just buy a PlayStation and play Detroit for H- Detroit Human. Like that's 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 a fucking story. But yeah, it was still cool. Um, and then listening, uh, let me open up my recents on Spotify mm. and I'll tell you now this is, this may be ruined from the car trip. Wait, Bandcamp last recent purchased albums. That will probably be better. Oh, Piniel, which is amazing. They're a math. They're a French math rock band made up of two French math rock bands. So knee and peel. They're two separate French bands. Uh, so they are now a seven piece, two drummers, two bass players, uh, three guitarists. It's, it's fucking sick. It's great. Um, and then also uh, He Was Eaten by Owls. So they're an orchestral math rock band from England. So uh, literally math rock, but played with like cello and violins and, and drums with brushes. Um, Ellen Kirkwood's a part. So Ellen Kirkwood is this incredible trumpet player from Sydney um, who runs the Sirens big band, which is basically like a huge big band, I guess, with a with a lot of amazing accomplished jazz musicians, including Sandy Evans um, and Andrew Keller's on this as well. So it's jazz. But it's, it's definitely a, conce- a concept album, which is amazing. Um, and Schnella tollemeier which is another... I really like math rock. There we go. Um, they're, they're a math rock band from... I can't remember where. Um, but they're a three-piece. But they normally play a lot of jazz gigs. Um, Kurashimi, I only bought, what is chaos? But I only bought that because I'm on it. Um, but it's cool. It's avant-garde black jazz. Um, Brian Campo's Old Dog, New Tricks. So Brian Campo is a Melbourne acoustic based artist um, and Chris also plays drums on it because again Chris has a million projects um, I was also supposed to play bass on one track and I Brian and I just never got around to organising it and I still regret it because it's a fucking great album and I think the song that I was on I think I can pick it out because he was like this song's perfect for you and then I it's track number 12 again I don't know song names but uh, I'm pretty sure that was the one and I'm like oh man I really wish I played on that um, uh, I think it's called I think the band's called Mole or maybe Moo, uh, M-O with a slash through it, Ol, Mole, M-O-L. Uh album's it's called Jord. So they're basically like a Deaf Heaven. So I love Deaf he- Heaven's Sunbather album, mm. like just incredible. And I've hated everything that Deaf Heaven had done since. Uh, but this Mole album for me is like Sunbather 2.0. Like it's just huge black metal type of thing. Uh, and there's a Tangle Thoughts, No Tether, um, and then Tangents, New Bodies tangents are incredible um they're like a six piece no five piece uh avant-garde jazz mm-hmm. improv but they have a—I a, just call ollie the laptop dude so peter hollow who played cello on the seams the new seams release which will come out he plays cello in tangents um but the cool thing with tangents is that they all reroute to ollie the laptop dude um and he has a whole bunch of effects and a mixer and stuff so So what's really interesting is like the drummer, Evan, he plays really sparse type of motifs first. So he will leave a lot of space in it. So he'll be like, you know, just something like that. And then Ollie will record that into his thing and then play it back with like maybe like a reverse delay or something. So then you've got that drum and then Evan's like, Oh, cool. All right. That's the drum loop. I'm going to go like, and just does all these really cool, again, nerdy little dumb things. But then Ollie's like, oh, that's cool. I'll loop that bit. Nah, that. And then that goes in and it is, it's just really an expansive sound. They played with us when we played with tortoise, um, back in 2016. Uh, yeah. i yeah. There's actually, I just realized that all of those bands except for two are mostly Australian or three, are mostly Australian bands as well. There's a lot of good stuff coming out of here. So, mm. um, but oh, sorry. That was Bandcamp and I'll, I'll open up my Spotify. Um, just to, just to make sure I've not missed anything. Um, so Spotify recent ones. Oh, so uh, we've listened to Turtle Skull, um, Bex Odelay, um, Bad Bad Not Good. So they're like a soul dub band. Uh, Alarmists, they're an Irish um, math rock band with two drummers and two guitarists, and they all play keyboards. They're amazing. And also No Doubt's Hella Good because um, that's kind of been the joke of the joke song for the tour, mm. so we've been playing hella good at every. danka danka danca danka danka danca. I play it now, but there'd be licensing issues. But, um, <laughs> hopefully, if I sing the riff, it's not an issue. <laughs> yeah, I didn't make that a short answer, did I? I'm not very good with short answers. I think I that's mean, why we. I, the... the... I think that's how we I think that's how we've hit the record. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I'll have, have to cut out the first little bit, but I'm yeah. pretty sure we're at the record. Yeah. So you are the, now the new longest interview.
1: I I <laughs> thank you. And also to everyone else, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.